You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Dino from Real Vision, sending to you live Wednesday, August 17th. We saw an initial positive reaction in equity markets to this set of minutes to unpack all of the market action surrounding the uh, new FOMC meeting minutes. Uh, I have a friend of mine, Darius Dale, joining me at 30 minutes. It's very good to see you again, Darius. Andreas, what's up, brother? It's good to see you. Man, lots going on in macro as usual. Darius, uh, let's start with these uh, new Fed meeting minutes. Uh, what's your take on the message being sent from the Federal Reserve? Yeah, I think it's it's got a slightly dovish tone to it. If you kind of really uh, you know parsed it through, I mean, the key takeaway from my perspective was that officials were pretty much in agreement on their sort of I guess rising fear of over tightening. Uh, obviously, uh, everyone on that institution believes, and we do as market participants as well. That monetary policy works on quote unquote long and variable lags. And so it's their belief that they should probably start to throttle down the pace of rate increases at the very least uh, to give the monetary policy tightening that they've already enacted some time to work through the economy. I think this is sort of code word. You know, the, the, if, I, if I'm being a little conspiracy theorist, I think that's all code word mumbo jumbo for the folks who are still very much in the transitory camp on the FOMC committee. Um, effectively giving themselves some time, buying them some time to eventually get to what they hope will be a much, uh, much more sort of um, dovish inflation environment in the in the coming quarters. If we look at the price action in equities over the past, say, six to eight weeks, we've seen a uh, material rally, uh, maybe one of the most hated rallies in modern history. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, p- please try to explain what's going on price action wise in equities, given that interest rates are still on the rise, at least if you look at policy rates. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, you can you could you could you could summarize this entire move by everyone was offside. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of folks who do, um, you know, some great work on on Wall Street, you know, guys like Charlie Miguel get uh, over at Namira, um, do a lot of great work on understanding the positioning cycle with respect to various different players, particularly CTAs, quants. Uh, we can all study what asset managers and, and traditional hedge funds are doing using CT, uh, CFTC data. But when you put the whole pie together, you know, when you got to the end of June, literally every community, meaningful community of investors was about as short at the market as they had been in recent years and, and sometimes. So um, all we needed was a couple of good data points. Uh, we got that um, through the, lead, the, the the first good data point we got that really moved the market higher, in my opinion, uh, was we got the um, the University of Michigan, the July University of Michigan uh, CPI report. 
came out, uh, really big move down to the downside, kind of got us going. Then Jay Powell sort of opened the door uh, for the uh, famed, not dovish, dovish pivot, <laughs> the, the dovish pivot that didn't happen um, on, on July, June, July 27th. And ever since then, we've been getting a series of positive data points since then. Um, you got the uh, ISM services print a couple of weeks ago, CPI report, um, jobs report. Um, and, and obviously this morning with the retail sales report, um, it's been a lot of decent data um, that's sort of refuting a couple of uh, bear cases uh, at the margins. One, inflation is going to be high and persistent, and the Fed's going to have to over-tighten us into a hard landing. And number two, the U.S. economy was at or near an actual recession. And both of those views got punched in the face, uh, to say the least, over the last six weeks. Uh, if we take a deeper look at the retail sales report from this morning, it was obviously flat on the month on the headline number. Uh, but if you look beneath the surface, uh, you can actually see that the amount of or the volume being bought is is uh, trending lower by now. So that's the inflation adjusted retail sales number. What do you make of that divergence between the headline number and the inflation adjusted retail sales number? Yeah, no. So it looks like a chart of, you know, the real economy, uh, which is obviously ground to a halt. If you look at real GDP, that's been negative for a while. Or if you look at uh, real final sales, which effectively ground to a halt of zero um, in the second quarter. Um, but, you know, one thing I would call out on this particular retail sales print is that it's it's not all bad. So if you look at the control group, which feeds directly into GDP, uh, retail sales being about um, a quarter of consumer spending, uh, sorry, a third of consumer spending, a quarter of GDP. Uh, the control group actually accelerated, if you look at it on a three-month annualized basis, up 100 basis points to plus 9.2%. Now, there's still some inflation in that number, but when you exclude things like gas and building materials and all those things, you're really getting to something that looks a lot more like core discretionary consumer spending, and that's obviously still growing quite robustly, You know, obviously including the, the inflation that's in the, in the time series. If we look at the possibility for further Goldilocks investment scenarios in the months ahead, I know that you track the sort of sentiment surrounding various regimes uh, for investments. Uh, and Goldilocks is obviously defined as a slowing inflation uh, environment with, uh, in this case, a, a soft landing growth wise paired with it. What do you make of that Goldilocks scenario in the months ahead? Yeah, so that that's, in my opinion, I think this is the biggest discussion about uh, where we go from here, which is, do we have inflation continue to break down at the speed that it's currently breaking down? And if so, will that perpetuate a Goldilocks? Not only will it stave off a, a hard landing, will it actually catalyze an acceleration in real economic output? Uh, to me, is a really good question. And I don't know that the market has a real definitive answer on that right now. Uh, Brian, if you pull up that uh, chart top-down market regime, you know one of the things we do on a daily basis at 42 Macro is now cast both the bottom-up uh, macro regime, what the economy is doing, but we also now cast what the market is pricing in vis-a-vis -vis, um, those four grid regimes. And right now, looking at our top-down market regime process, which scores uh, 42 different asset markets through the lens of our volatility-adjusted momentum signal, right now it's a lot of um, a lot of chop, a lot of lot of lot of it's a real severe lack of dispersion across the four regimes. So the market is really confused as to what to price in. Right now, 22% of the the current signals are being allocated to Goldilocks. 31%, uh, which is the modal outcome, are being allocated to reflation. Uh, inflation, that's for growth. And uh, growth's decelerating and inflation's accelerating. That's at 25%. And deflation, where growth and inflation are slowing simultaneously, is at 22%. So the market is really confused as to which bucket to you know start to price in. But more importantly, not only is it confused, it's got the lowest conviction score associated with the total amount of signals uh, one of the lowest we've seen really in data going back to daily data going back to 1998. It's only in the second percentile 
of the aggregate amount of signals that are currently being generated by the model. So it's telling you that investors are looking around and we basically traded to across a bunch of different markets to a level that is very indecisive, not decisively bullish, not decisively bearish. And so you're going to have to have a view of what happens next from here if you want to make money. Uh, Ravi Powell, the founder of Real Vision, um, has labeled this recent rally the most hated rally in modern history, more or less. Uh, if you look at the positioning data and pair it with the potential for further Goldilocks in the months ahead, do you think the market is ready for further Goldilocks if we should see such a scenario? Uh, perhaps, perhaps not. I mean, so I think at the end of the day, the market is always trying to price in what happens economically. Now, that that puts a lot of onus on folks like myself to get the the economic regime correctly. And right now, if you put up that second chart, Brian, bottom-up macro regime, um, it's currently, it's, at least according to our models, we are transitioning from inflation to deflation um, in the U.S. economy and, and really across the global economy. Uh, from that perspective, uh, pick your country. They might be a couple months late on that transition. But the reality is when you factor in the different characteristics of deflation that we have projected, in, for instance, um, not slowing significantly fast, we were slowing quite fast uh, during that inflation regime, but not slowing as fast um, things like the Fed continuing to hike rates, the Fed continuing to shrink its balance sheet, you know, things of that nature, those secondary characteristics. We wind up in a scenario that I, I, do, I believe is sort of not currently being adequately priced in a market, which creates the market opportunity. For instance, if you, if you transition to the style of deflation that's likely to persist between now and let's call it year end, you're talking about annualized returns on the S&P of minus 3%. So, uh, if you look at it, defensives versus cyclicals, it's minus 1 versus minus 12 and if you look at it, low beta versus high beta, it's plus 5% versus minus 15%. So from my perspective, to answer your question, I don't know that the, the sort of, I think the harder thing to do right now is to actually answer the question, where is the market headed? I think the easier thing to do and make money on is to take advantage of the fact that we're still not necessarily out of the woods yet from an economic perspective and bet on that dispersion starting to increase uh, both from a market regime perspective, but also from a sector and style factor perspective within the equity and credit markets. You can do that in the crypto market as well. I saw a tweet earlier today, Darius, reporting that X are down 33% in price over the past couple of weeks alone. Uh, what are some of the live gauges that you're tracking at 42 Macro to assess the inflation pressure on a running basis through the month? Yeah, so I mean, clearly we're always tracking you know, commodity prices, the dollar, uh, things of that nature that give you a real-time market read on, on how inflation is developing from a headline perspective. But to me, I think the headline inflation was kind of the story of the July print. Uh, well, one of the stories, but the second biggest story, and I think will be eventually become the biggest story once we start to get into the August and September data, is the potential stickiness or not stickiness of core inflation. Um, we have another chart. If you look at uh, Brian, inflation was the river card is the title of that chart, where we show um, that the the five uh, the pre-COVID trend in the in the light blue bar. We show the uh, the most recent month month-over-month month annualized print in the gray bar, and then the, or sorry, the penultimate month-over-month month annualized print in the gray bar in the most recent month, which obviously is July uh, for the CPI data and June for the PC data, but we'll focus on uh, the CPI statistics. Um, if you look at uh, trim mean CPI, it slowed 460 basis points month-over-month month annualized to a 5.5% um, in, in the month of July. That's like, the, we don't ever see these kinds of decelerations outside of recession. Median CPI down 247 basis points to 6.3%. Sticky CPI down 270 basis points to 5.4%. So these are the kinds of things that I don't think you can get a real-time read on, at least not yet, because we don't necessarily have all the, the access to the high-frequency data that you need to build these kinds of time series in real time. Maybe 10 years from now we'll have it, but who knows. But 
what I'm really trying to say is, even if you could track this stuff in real time, or sorry, we can obviously track the headline pressures in real time, but the stuff that, in my opinion, matters most, not only to the market, but also to the Fed, because uh, it's core inflation, are these types of statistics, because they lead core PC inflation, which is obviously the Fed's preferred metric. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I, I wanted to play a soundbite for you, Darius, in relation to this debate on inflation hosted by Roger Hurst. He discusses the um, inflation outlook uh, debated by Julian Brickton and Rule Powell in one of the Real Vision Essential interviews. So let's listen to that soundbite and get back to the discussion on how to break the neck of inflation. What really is key here, this is what both Julian and Raoul were saying, is that let's have a look at recessions now. Let's bring recessions into the equation because when we've had CPI at these sorts of levels, the peak has nearly always occurred within a recessionary period. And then we see CPI declining through that recession and out the other side. So if we have just seen the peak, we should still be within a recession. And obviously we could say that we are because of the, the GDP data. Uh, and, and Rosenberg was also saying that we could have been in a recession for a while because households, median households probably have been in a recession, even if the official data is a little bit kind of touch and go based on revisions that could happen in the future. But CPI at these sorts of levels is usually in the midst of a recessionary event. And this is where um, Julian was saying, OK, we've got to understand how the Fed is going to react to this, because there's two ways they could do it. There's the Volcker moment. And you can see here the Volcker moment. This is 1982, where the interest rates were taken significantly above CPI in order to kill CPI. And then they were kept tight, i.e. significantly above CPI, for pretty much the next two decades. And Julian also mentioned that Greenspan era, where once interest rates had gone up in the mid-90s, they stayed high and they stayed significantly above the uh, CPI figures for that decade. So this was a tight world. When we compare that to today and most of the last decade, you can see that interest rates today are still significantly below where CPI is. And historically, you've only ever killed those CPI prints, those higher prices, by taking interest rates up to or beyond where that CPI um, figure is. And that's not happened yet. So what we're reliant on here is that those CPI numbers come back down to where interest rates are. Darius, I wanted to, to pick your in on this topic on how to break inf uh, the neck of inflation, basically. Um, the point of, of, of Roger's takeaways here is basically that uh, it may be needed to bring the Fed funds rate above the sort of medium term inflation outlook to really ensure that. Yeah, great question. So it, it, it may be needed and typically it has been needed. Um, this is why I made the comment, and I think I made it last week as well, which is the kind of momentum, the, the shift down in momentum and inflation that we saw in the month of July almost never happens outside of recession. And obviously, looking at that chart, you know, when you get real interest rates much higher than uh, CPI tends to, uh, you tend to create a recession by, by restricting this quantity and supply of money um, pretty aggressively. So this, to me, um, is the real key debate of the moment right now, because if we continue to see that kind of momentum uh, change, that, that deceleration, the, the magnitude of deceleration that we've observed in some of these you know, critical inflation statistics, we're going to have a very different world in one to two months. 
I mean, if you if you if you double that pace of decline from that we saw in July on something like trim mean CPI, we'll be from we'll go from ten to one percent on a month over month annualized basis in a matter of two months. You know, we'll take that from let's call it eight plus to around four for medium CPI and eight plus and roughly around nine to three on sticky CPI. And so we're talking about inflation prints in the month of August or September. If we stay at that pace of deceleration, which is very rare that we have seen outside of recession and outside of a Fed that is willing to get that tight, we're talking about a very different world here. And it may, get, it may lend some credence to the transitory view. The transitory people won't, will tell you they're not wrong. They're just early. Just like a lot of market participants will tell you that sometimes. If we shift gears a bit and move to Europe, uh, we received the latest CPI print from the UK earlier today, uh, printing at 10.1% year over year. I think that's the highest print in, print in more than 40 years. Uh, so obviously, we haven't seen the peak yet, apparently, in European inflation. What do you make of that difference between the price pressure seen in the US and what we observe in, in, in Europe right now? Well, I mean, the number one thing I think about it is, is okay, how does this relate to the dollar? I mean, because the dollar has been one of the things that's been tightening global liquidity um, for an extended period of time. And, you know, it's very clear that there's the inflation pressure um, that's been, you know, that's building in Europe. One is still building, but two obviously has a tail risk if you think about Russian gas flows, et cetera, particularly to continental uh, Europe. And so it's my, it's what I'm most focused on is the ECB and the Bank of England's policy response to this uh, ratcheting up inflation pressure? Are they willing to do whatever it takes? Now, it's a little bit different for the pound. The pound will trade in line with its, its policy rate expectations, whereas the euro will typically trade in line with its growth expectations. And so will, you know, how tight is the ECB willing to, to go? Is a re, it will typically be a fade on the euro versus the BO Bank of England would typically be something that I could buy. So I'm watching those things very closely. Um, as it relates to the, to the U.S. dollar, because clearly that's been one of the things that has um, caused a lot most most of the pain that we've accumulated this, throughout the year to date. Uh, the dollar has been kind of behind a significant amount of that. If if we look at the futures pricing of natural gas and electricity in Europe, uh, the peak may still be ahead of us when it comes to inflation, because the futures pricing of natural gas in December, for example, is through the roof. Uh, it's the same picture. Of if we watch the uh, futures pricing of electricity in, for example, France and Germany into December 2022. Uh, so if we have the peak ahead of us in Europe in terms of inflation, but we've already peaked in the US when it comes to inflation, what does that mean for the investment outlook for equities relative between those two regions? Yeah, so if we have the peak ahead of us in your Eurozone, which our model suggesting is, is actually not the case, it uh, looks like uh, you, uh, June was the high for, for Eurozone inflation. Uh, it's very likely that that is marginally supportive of the Euro relative to where we've been, although I do believe that the European growth outlook is much worse than the U.S.'s growth outlook, so that's still net negative. The peak in the U.K. inflation, based on the Bank of England's willingness to respond with an actual recession by pushing the economy into an actual recession, that is that is uh, positive at the margin for the British pound. So um, you reverse all that back to U.S. equities. We're talking about the dollar that's going up, but probably not nearly as fast as it's appreciated in the first six months of the year, uh, which on the margin alleviates some pressure uh, from the equity and credit markets and obviously crypto markets. Mm. Uh, I've personally myself entered a long position in the S&P 500 versus a short position in the DAX, reflecting this 
difference in, in the inflation outlook, at least short term here. And that could be one way of playing it if if the uh, abating inflation outlook in the US allows equities to party uh, a little longer. How important do you think this the peak is in story for inflation in the US is? I think the peak in inflation was in story was really relevant back in June and throughout the month of July when the whole world was sort of caught off sky. I mean, the whole world was caught on one side of the boat and eventually the boat, you know, we hit, <laughs> we hit, we capsized or something on the boat, but the, you know, we had to get to the different side of the boat. Uh, sorry, it's a terrible analogy. <laughs> I'll do better next week. Um, anyway, my, my, my clear point is it's, we're going to quickly transition to a state where peaked inflation is, is no longer matters anymore. It's about the rate of change of inflation and the magnitude and the pace of deceleration. And at that pace of deceleration, all the positive things that I said about how quickly trim mean CPI, median CPI, sticky CPI broke down in the month of July, which will likely presage a significant breakdown in core PC momentum. If that stuff starts to stall out, particularly around this, let's call it four to five percent level, which is right around where you, you know, kind of um, employment cost statistics would tell you inflation's to stall out, that'll be a big problem. And it'll no longer, we'll go from having a price in peak inflation to the upside to having going back to having a price in peak sticky inflation to the downside and a tighter Fed relative to uh, where policy rate expectations got, you know, kind of late July, early August. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We have a great question from uh, Scott on Twitter um, asking you for your view on quarters tip tightening. It's as if uh, everyone has forgotten about the balance sheet tightening process from the Federal Reserve amidst all this debate on inflation. Uh, he's asking you whether uh, the QT process will push uh, long-end yields up compared to the slowing growth scenario uh, that we have ahead. Yeah, so it really does depend on how fast growth is slowing. Um, and in my opinion, I think the number one thing that'll be driving how quickly growth is slowing is how quickly does inflation break down. If inflation proves to be somewhat transitory and we continue to see these kinds of decelerations on, on inflation um, outside of, you know, having to need an actual recession or a policy rate that's higher than CPI, we're going to have a much better growth dynamic in the U.S. economy and really in the global economy as well as a function of the dollar credit system, um, in, you know, over the ensuing quarters. If, however, inflation proves to be sticky, the real growth dynamic is actually going to slow faster. And ultimately, that's going to prove uh, to be something that's uh, that, that's quite onerous. So um, I think it's I think it's 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 hard. I mean, I said it last week. These are the kind of you know changes in the kind of volatility we're seeing in inflation statistics that are almost impossible to model. I mean, obviously, no one's got this stuff right. Maybe the exception of Jim Bianco coming from the lows to the highs. But even from coming from the highs to here, I mean, no one saw a 500 basis point decel and trim mean CPI in a one month time frame with outside of a recession because it doesn't happen. It's never happened outside of a recession. First time it's ever happened outside of a real recession. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's hard to predict. Then the one thing you kind of hit the nail on the head with your S&P DAX call. I think this is a great market that's ripe for dispersion as opposed to making sort of, you know, explicit bets on on the broad indices and the broad factors. Uh, we know that the balance of risk, if you sort of count up the base case scenario, the bull case scenario and the book and the, and the bear case scenario, 
two thirds of the pie are telling you that growth is going to continue to slow and the Fed's going to continue to tighten into that. Now, one might slow modestly and the Fed might tighten modestly, or the one might slow materially or the Fed might continue to tighten materially. And only maybe one third of that pie says things are actually going to improve really substantially on the inflation front. And we're going to get something that looks like Goldilocks economically. So just putting my hat on two thirds chance of being right on a dispersion trade versus a one third chance, that's a much uh, greater chance that I'll take. But, you know, I don't know that I would put a full factor exposure bet on here in terms of just absolute returns, because again, the distribution of probable outcomes is so flat and wide. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment, Darius. We also have a question from DJ um, asking you if the Bank of England and the European Central Bank will have to continuously fight this rising inflation in uh, the UK and in the Eurozone over the course of the autumn. Will that put an extra pressure on the Fed Reserve to continue hiking? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think the Fed, the Fed really only cares about the dollar when it's going up really quickly. Um, they don't. They certainly don't care when it's going down really quickly, and and certainly from these levels, you know, levels where we are, the pound, the euro, Japanese yen, et cetera, the Fed's not going to be concerned or alarmed that it's losing, you know, starting to lose the inflation fight um, through the lens of headline inflation. Because as I mentioned, we were talking about it the whole show. It's not about headline inflation anymore. It's about core inflation, and does core inflation uh, really start to break down in a way that is um, that that allows the Fed to sort of take their foot off the off the brake? And we're not, we don't know the answer to that yet. I think we need at least one more month of data. Hmm. Fair assessment, Darius. We, we get a bunch of questions on the energy sector, and we haven't really talked about it so far uh, in this daily briefing. If we watch the price action in, uh, in crude oil over the past month or so, it seems as if we have entered sort of a bearish market. What do you make of the energy sector and the commodity outlook? Dude, I mean, it, <laughs> I... I, I so the one thing that's confounded me personally on energy is we've actually seen a pretty substantial bounce in agriculture commodities and industrial metal commodities. And industrial metal commodities, as you know, um, are more significantly tethered to the growth uh, cycle than, um, than than ag. So we're seeing sort of you know inelastic commodities bounce and elastic commodities bounce. But then we have energy, the kind of um, crude oil kind of in the middle, just doing nothing but continuing to fade. Um, so this is obviously telling you that there's something afoot either with global crude oil demand and you know China's zero COVID policy, maybe that's one big factor. The return of Iranian supplies, obviously another factor investors have had to price in um, in recent days. And there's obviously the SPR, maybe they're accelerating SPR release um, into the November midterms. Uh, that's also another factor. But you know, I think if you do this on any sort of model-based uh, estimate for crude oil, tell you that you know anything with an eight handle is probably the wrong price. Um, so I would anticipate, you know, if we do start to get a, the Federal Reserve that sounds a lot more like these minutes sounded today, which is I'm very concerned about tightening much further, then you might actually start to see a fade in the dollar uh, relative to uh, the peer currencies. And you'll start to get a, some 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 higher lows uh, baking in from a longer term time series perspective in crude oil. So um, I do believe you're probably getting towards the low of this correction in crude oil. But I mean, I'd be a fool to give you a specific level. We have time for a final question, and uh, the question relates to the current labor market. Um, we're asked uh, about the stories uh, around companies not having enough employees, the huge amount of job openings still uh, being reported. But at the same time, we're seeing layoffs, in particular in the tech sector. Um, the question is, how does that scenario play out in a recession with layoffs being announced, but still a lot of job openings? 
Yeah, so the reality is we're going to see job openings decline if we go into what we consider to be an actual recession, which is an NDER recession, a real recession. Um, you know, if you have that type of out scenario, you know, what you typically see is not only do job openings decline, but they go from being, let's call it, you know, one to one with the total number of unemployed to something that's below one. Right now, we're currently tracking at 1.9x uh, total number of unemployed. So that number can go to 0.5 in, in our significant recession. Um, again, I think the probability of getting a hashtag actual recession has declined considerably alongside the breakdown in core inflation momentum. Now, if we stall at these levels in core inflation momentums, i.e. somewhere around 4 to 5%, pick your indicator, then the probability of actual recession will start to gradually rise again as we progress forward in time and start to get more and more tightening policy, more and more monetary tightening into, let's call it, the first part of next year. The Fed's basically got to land the plane in the next couple of months on the tightening initiative. Otherwise, we will wind up in an actual recession, let's call it, in the first half of next year, middle of next year. Uh, I think we will wrap up the discussion uh, for today on those remarks, Darius. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you again. My friend, always a pleasure. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with Tom Thornton guesting the show. Uh, so see you tomorrow, tomorrow for another round of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.